We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Supposed to be hitting a sled, not humping about a fire. I want you mean. I want you nasty. I want you to draw meat. Get your ass out of here. All right, next. Andre does not eat raw meat because Andre is a vegetarian. Eat whatever the hell you want, Andre. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the podcast breaking down the action of your favorite sports movies. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. This week we're doing Necessary Roughness, the 1991 college football film that kind of tried to be to college football what Major League was to baseball. It didn't work, but it definitely tried. There were some uh, there were some pieces in place. You had Sinbad, Scott Bakula, really young Jason Bateman. Uh, you know they gave it hell, but it it didn't really work. But it's a it's an entertaining watch. On today's episode, I was joined by Ben Koo. Ben runs the websites Awful Announcing and The Comeback. Awful Announcing, I think, is one of the first accounts I ever followed on Twitter. It's a longtime staple if you're a sports fan, and I was really glad to have Ben on to talk this movie. I think he did more research than I did about this one. He dropped some good facts about the making of the movie and the, you know, the industry in general. He was an awesome guest, made for a great episode, and uh, you know, I hope to have him on for a future one. I've uh, I've taken to letting you guys know where you can watch these movies on streaming, if at all. This is another one had to run it on Amazon Prime. Cost me three bucks. Uh, you know, it, it's not the best movie in the world, but three bucks. If you uh, if you need something to kill about ninety minutes, go for it. Uh, try out Necessary Roughness. This is your first episode of Big Screen Sports. Please remember to subscribe. Check out past episodes. You know, last week we did Teen Wolf with uh, Jeff Perlman. It was a good episode. Uh, you know, follow the podcast on Twitter at big underscore screen sport and Instagram at big screen sports pod for sports movie content and upcoming episode news. In the next couple weeks, we've got an early Tom Cruise and all the right moves. We've got the Waterboy finally taking on one of the Adam Sandler sports movies and then rookie of the year uh, probably coming mid-August. But for today, let's get into Necessary Roughness with Ben Koo from Awful Announcing. All right, joining me for tonight's episode, he runs Awful Announcing and The Comeback, Ben Koo. Ben, how are you doing tonight? 
I'm uh, I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm I'm very pleased to be covering this movie with you. But real quick before we get going, uh, tell us what you do over at Awful Announcing and the Comeback, and where people can find you on social media. Yeah, so Awful Announcing is a sports blog. It's uh, over ten years old, and if you're someone who finds themselves very curious about sports media. You know, if ESPN's making changes to their schedule, if they're hiring people, um, if they're bidding for rights, if Fox is making moves, or if Sports Illustrated's being sold, things like that that just kind of cover sports media. Uh, we cover that very intensely. We do about, uh, you know, six to 10 posts a day. And, um, you know, a lot of industry people read us, but we're also kind of a site that's more the fans' point of view. And the comeback is where this writing team has kind of an outlet to write about sports and pop culture. Uh, so those are our two sites. Um, you can find them at awfulannouncing.com and on Twitter and Facebook and the comeback as well. And I'm uh, BKoo on Twitter. You can find me there and DMs are open if you have any thoughts. Yeah, Awful Announcing I think has been around almost as long as Twitter. I think it was one of my first Twitter follows. But, uh, Ben, I'm really happy to have you on because tonight we're talking about the movie Necessary Roughness. Necessary Roughness is a 1991 college football uh, comedy drama film. Due to NCAA sanctions, the Texas State University fighting armadillos must form a football team from their actual student body with no scholarships to help, uh, with no scholarships to help to play their football schedule. It started Scott Bakula. Hector Elizondo, Sinbad, and a very young Jason Bateman and Rob Schneider. Got a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's based very very loosely on the SMU uh, death penalty situation in the 1980s. Uh, SMU sat out two seasons. They had the Texas State fighting armadillos sit out no seasons, and it really hurt this movie. Uh, ben, right away, is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer sports movie for you? You know, I, I got to go with uh, it's a starter because it's entertaining. It, it's certainly bad. Um, I can't really say that this is a good movie, but it's entertainingly bad. There are just kind of like I, – I had a friend come over who uh, – I have an unnamed friend who shows up sometimes without any warning, and he brings over like a month and a half of a lawn, of laundry at a time. So I dumped this on him. I dumped watching Necessary Roughness with me, and we both had a fair share of laughs, but some of them were kind of intended, but a lot of them were uh, just because this movie is is really not that good. Uh, so because it's entertaining, I, I would say it's a starter. I can't fathom anyone saying this is an all-star or a Hall of Fame movie whatsoever. Um, but, I mean, they're – you know, stuff happens. Uh, there are some memorable scenes. It's, it's, it's funny. Um, so, you know, for sure, we'll, we'll make it a starter. I mean, for me, I almost lean Benchwarmer. Like, there are movies that are so bad that they're good. Like, on, on this podcast last week, we did Teen Wolf, which is just so bad that it's, like, it's funny enough to be good. This one is so right in the bell curve. It can't decide if it wants to be bad enough to be good. So it's it's honestly a bench warmer for me. But it kind of begs the question, why aren't there more college football movies? College football should be like super ripe for you know, for producing good sports movies, but there's like there's this, there's Rudy, there's the program which came out right after this, and I can't, I can't really think of anything else that's that good or even that that notable. 
Yeah, there. I mean, I, I kind of Googled, and you know, there's Waterboy, The Express, and We Are Marshall. So I think one thing is is kind of licensing. You know, they're it's hard to get people excited about fictional teams, um, which is kind of an issue here. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when you, when you look at sports movies that are made, you see like a lot of boxing movies where you can kind of just get someone's rights to do a box, you know, to tell their story. And for college football movies, I think the licensing is a big thing. Um, also, um, in the last like kind of two decades, um, there's been a big swing in what the box office is and what the um, kind of monetization is for sports movies or movies in general, where I think they said like 20 years ago, 75% of the monetization for a movie came in the U S and now it's flipped to where it's 75% international. So when you look at a sport like football, that doesn't have much of an international draw or audience uh, it makes those movies kind of hard to make because they're not going to earn much revenue, you know, overseas. Uh, there just isn't a, a big football viewing audience. So uh, when you look at sports that are kind of U.S. focused only, and, and that's, you know, really primarily football and, you know, somewhat baseball to a little degree, uh, you know, where it's not as big in, in certain parts of the world, that becomes kind of a big impediment because they know that they're not going to earn money uh, internationally. The licensing part you mentioned is really funny with this movie because, yeah, it's it's all fake teams. There's the Texas State University fighting armadillos. When they made this movie, there was no Texas State. Uh, since then, Southwestern Texas State has, has changed their name to Texas State. They're now the Texas State Bobcats. There's one real team. The Kansas Jayhawks <laughs> decided to be licensed for this movie, which is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like, the, of all the teams. The, the, all right, so Kansas shows up in the movie. Like, they've already played a handful of fake teams. And Kansas comes, like, pretty much, I would say, at the end of Act 2. And the Bobcats have not won a game. Then a real school shows up, Kansas. It's the Kansas Jayhawks. They're wearing the uniforms. And if you don't know college football that well, Kansas has traditionally been pretty damn terrible. They had, like, a couple good years, like a decade ago. But really, they've been one of the worst teams in the Power Five over the last like 25, 30, 40 years. So they, sh- they show up, and it's the first time the Armadillos don't lose. And then not only do this Kansas, like, earn, or, you know, the, the Armadillos, the protagonists, kind of get their first non loss, which makes Kansas look bad, which totally jives with like how they were, at least back then. Uh, the winning, or not the winning play, the play, it, it, it ends up in a tie. Uh, where the kicker, Kathy Ireland, who who becomes the kicker midway through this movie, she kicks the tying field goal at the tie of the game. I think it's 3-3. And then some asshole Kansas like defensive lineman just like runs into her way after the kick, like not even going for it. Just like, oh, you've tied the game. I'm basically going to like assault you after the game. It's like, you know, after the ball's like cleared the, you know, the uprights and he goes, uh, Welcome to football. And so if like you're Kansas, like how how much money did you get to be a terrible football team in a movie that no other school wanted anything to do with where the lasting image is not only did your school become like the first team not to lose to this fictional team, but you attacked the, the woman kicker after the game. Clock stop with just three seconds left. There's time for just one last play. It's good! Armadillo 
Welcome to football. It's the worst look ever for Kansas, and the only <laughs> way I can think of why they did this is because Scott Bakula actually went to Kansas. That's oh. the only... Yeah, but I, I can't imagine, like, why would you want to do that to your alma mater no. as well? Like, why would you... Like, if I'm Scott Bakula, I'm like, yeah, I want Kansas to be the first team they play. Like, Kansas needs to kick the shit out of the Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there are two schools that really kind of do something overtly... Um, sinister, and with that late hit on, on poor Kathy, uh, I think uh, Kansas is like a, a modest sized bad guy. And then obviously the uh, the end the the game at the end against uh, the, the fake Texas. Uh, so I yeah I I have no idea the Bacula thing could be possible, but I would not want to do this to my alma mater. And uh, it it's it's just hilarious because they they're already a bad team. So. Uh, you know, th- there wasn't any image rehabilitation going on here. Yeah, it's it's really kind of wild. Let's. Uh, I want to do some quick IMDb trivia. With this movie, there's not really a whole lot. Uh, it was filmed at the University of North Texas. Uh, and it's funny, Coach uh, Wally Rigg, when he gets there, he says, from the Cotton Bowl to the Dust Bowl. But uh, North Texas is in uh, located in Denton, which is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's a little north. And so is the Cotton Bowl, also in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So it's, it's kind of like from basically saying from the Cotton Bowl to just north of the Cotton Bowl. Did you notice, uh, like early on in that movie when they're doing practices, it looks cold. You had the dean like under a blanket and drinking coffee. Like they're in Texas doing double days in August, and like a lot of the players and the and you know people at practice are like wearing like thick clothes. It was it was very odd. You know, in a different movie, I would be like, I can't believe they made that mistake. But in this movie, it kind of just, <laughs> yeah. it kind of fits the uh, fits the mo. The only other IMDb trivia that's kind of interesting is when they have that random scene where they scrimmage a prison team. On the prison team includes Jerry Rice, Roger Craig, Earl Campbell, Dick Butkus, Ben Davidson, Tony Dorsett, Ed Tuttle Jones, Herschel Walker, Jim Kelly, and Randy White, and Evander Holyfield. So powerhouse uh, yeah. prison team. I mean, I, I watched this. I haven't seen this movie in, I mean, I got, I think I saw it when it came out. It's possible like one day in high school or maybe even early college, I watched a little bit of it, but I, I had not seen this movie in 20 years. So when you told me to kind of pick a movie that was low hanging fruit to poke fun of, uh, this this was it after having gone through a few that you've done before, um, but yeah, the prison scenes it was like one of the few things that stuck with me. Like you know, a lot of this had been wiped from my memory, but the the prison scene, I think anyone who's seen this movie can kind of tell you who was on that team or some of the guys on that team and how that scene plays out and you know what the prison team kind of looks like and you know that that is by far kind of like one of the more memorable parts of the movie and it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's bad, but you know, I think it's it's so bad it's it's memorable. So maybe it works a little bit. I think the biggest problem with this movie is that it can't decide is decide if it wants to be a serious sports movie or if it wants to be a straight up spoof. Like it it there are certain lines that are just like completely like joking and and stuff like that and stuff that that would never happen in the movie once you to know that it would never happen. But there's also serious stuff like the scene in the hospital after he's had like the fake heart attack or whatever, like the indigestion is what it ends up being. It's, 
so Paramount made Major League and then in 1989 and then they made this movie in 1991 and they kind of marketed it the same and I you know they made the poster similar and I think they tried to do the same thing where but whereas Major League is genuinely one very funny and it's also a pretty realistic sports movie it has a lot of good action and it's it's far-fetched in terms of the plot and how things come together but it's kind of the same thing ragtag team but it just executed so much better than Necessary Roughness, which is this movie just falls way short in that. So I think that was its biggest problem. Couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Yeah, I think you're spot on here. So I actually read an oral history that exists on this movie. And what I read was that this movie was somewhat in limbo. They had had it kind of cast and it was green lit, but it wasn't green lit. It was like, you know, right there. And a lot of the actors were like practicing football, but they hadn't committed to making the film. And late in the process, they brought in kind of like a well-known comedy writer to not do a full rewrite, but to add like a lot of jokes to the script. Um, so you kind of that kind of you know is is right on uh, you know dovetails into what you said, where I think the intent was for this to be a pretty serious movie. And, you know, for there to be a lot of like um, kind of an underdog story and personal discovery and struggle and, uh, you know, commentary about academics and athletics. Like, I think there was ambition for this to be a good movie. And that just wasn't going to happen, especially with this director and, uh, you know, who they cast. I think that's I'll get to that later, but I think the casting for a lot of the main roles was somewhat of a disaster. So I think they tried to steer this towards like, well, let, let's punch it up a little bit. Let's make it more of a comedy. Um, and there are some kind of funnier jokes and moments there, but yeah, it falls. It's like uh, a ball hit between uh, after or behind second base where the shortstop, like second baseman and center fielder converge, but it just drops like this movie you know it's hard to kind of decide what it is or what it could have been and you're you're 100 right that it kind of fails on whatever kind of lens you're trying to look at it uh to be this is one of the movies that i'm really looking forward to talking about how we'd improve it because i i think kind of like what you said i think there's a really potential good movie here but there's just some changes they'd really have to make like not even just like casting and stuff but there's just some fundamental changes with the movie I think they'd have to make. I've got a couple opening questions for you. So hypothetically, this team that is made up of 17 guys and one woman midway through the season pulled (laughs) straight from the student body, uh, one as a teacher, which we'll talk about, and then one just random guy, uh, random old quarterback who can throw the ball. So you just put this in 2019. They're playing, you know, Big 12 schedule or Big 8, whatever it was back then. You just assume they're in the conference with like Texas and Texas A&M. They're in that level of football. That I think the Texas, you know, the Colts or whatever they were, were a stand-in for the University of Texas. Do they score a point all year? Like imagine putting 17 random dudes from any university, like the the best flag football team be like hey you guys you guys got to go play texas and then you got to go play alabama and do they score a point all year yeah i think there's probably a world where there's some fluky play where you score maybe it might not even be on offense it could be like a blocked punt 
you know, where there's just one, one in a hundred, one in a thousand, uh, you know, you block the punt and then you return it or potentially it's like, you know, you get to the QB who's holding on to it too long uh, and you strip it and then you, you kind of pick it up. So I, you know, it's hard to see like seven, you know, a, a student body team who's especially going both ways. I, I, I felt like that was a wrinkle too far. You know, it's like Agreed. they're already, you know, they already don't have like a full squad or scholarships. And then, and then like a, I don't know, it was maybe a fourth through the movie. Uh, the, the Dean played by Larry Miller, like comes in and was like, you're a 10, 10, 15 guys are cutting because of grades. So, you know, they're about to like fold up the operation. And then, uh, you know, the coach goes, well, we'll, we'll just play uh, both ways. And I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, not no i mean that's a whole thing in itself but uh you know what what i would say there is to go a whole season without scoring i think i think they would probably score once or twice on a fluky play could they put together a drive to actually score i think that's unlikely i feel like they go they lose every game 100 to nothing doesn't matter who they play the the real university of kansas i think beats them 150 to nothing yeah, that's, just, I, that's my personal opinion. I, I'm thinking that every game gets into halftime pretty much at like 50 to zero. Uh, and then, you know, the second half, you kind of see, you know, the foot coming off the accelerator and, and so on. That's fair. I mean, there could be some sort of fluke. Yeah. Most and least authentic parts in the film. Did you have anything for most? I had Scott Bakula look like he could actually throw. Like they made it, they made it seem like he could throw a football. He probably played football at some point. Well, I mean, he probably got a lot better throwing a football. Filming the the scenes in the the opening scene in the movie where he, the credit scene uh, opening titles where he's in the cornfield. I mean, the start of this movie is there's this like dramatic music, and he's dressed like the Mar. I mean, Scott Bakula when he's not in uniform is in denim pretty much the whole movie with a cowboy hat, cowboy boots and smoking cigarettes. Like he is the Marlboro man uh, in this movie and he's throwing a football in a cornfield. I, I do got to say Scott Bakula looked good. I think, you know, maybe the most authentic thing was that it was very close to SMU. So just the pretense of, you know, a team that, you know, getting the death penalty was somewhat kind of believable because it actually did happen. The rest of the movie, I there's not much to not pull from. Not a whole lot. Not a no. lot. Was that opening? Was the opening montage of Bakula reliving the glory days? Was that like the saddest thing you'd ever seen? Because it was the sad. Like there's you know oh, I'm gonna throw a football at this tackling dummy I got in my cornfield. But like they imply that he was out there for a long time running <laughs> fake plays and throwing at this tackling dummy. Like the sun starts setting on him. It is. It is a very much opening the yearbook kind of situation for him. I mean, he's got to be the uh, inspiration for Napoleon Dynamite's Uncle Rico. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy that I mean, first off, that's not even like efficient. Like, if you're gonna throw footballs in a cornfield, like you got to go pick. Like, he doesn't even have a friend to throw the football with. That that's like the most depressing thing. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, it was it was kind of insane and depressing, uh, but it kind of sets the tone right off the bat that you're just going to be served heavy doses of ridiculous things that really make no sense. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go into what worked, uh, what was either realistic or what we just kind of enjoyed on scene. I have one thing. This isn't like a what worked situation. It's just something I want to point out. Uh, Coach Rigg, the defensive coordinator, uh, played by Frank. He's Frank Lopez from Scarface. Yeah. Uh, So they imply that he was coaching defense at Penn State in the late 70s, early 80s. (laughs) (laughs) So one can assume that Coach Rigg was coaching defense (laughs) with Jerry Sandusky, which gives this film a a, a whole nother level. I didn't make that connection, but it's... It's, and yeah, that's hilarious. And I, I think he was probably the guy who best fit in this movie. Uh, I agree. It, yeah, I think there was a lot of bad casting, but he, he was someone who kind of consistently brought it. And, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised going through his IMDb that we haven't seen him in more projects. But um, yeah, that, that's funny that you, you mentioned the Sandusky thing. It, uh, I thought he was like about 50 times more believable than uh, Hector Elizondo as, as a coach. Yeah. And we'll get into that. Cause I got a lot of thoughts on that. One. But he <laughs> was coach Riggs character was frustrating to me because I don't, it was another thing. Like, I don't think the movie could decide if they wanted him to be straight up comic relief or if they wanted him to be this serious football guy. It, I it, it was like they tried to make him kind of a Mick, like a Lou Brown from Major League, and it just yeah. didn't, it didn't land. They just couldn't decide what they wanted to do from his character. With what he was given, I thought he was one. Of, he was one of my favorite characters. He had some of the most, uh, the you know, the more memorable lines. I think one of the things that worked for me was when he gets back to the hospital and he's talking to the guys in the locker room. He's like, his last words are "win or I'll die." <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I busted up laughing and. So did my friend. Uh, yeah, the, I just visited the coach at the hospital, and what he told me was, "Win or I'll die." And it's it. It was one of the few lines that I think they intended to be funny, and it it hit. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was really good. Um, you know, they gave him the halftime. I think it was his halftime speech, and you know, it, which is interesting that you uh, you kind of gave him the halftime, the big halftime speech, and not the head coach. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, he was funny at times. Other times he was serious. He comes in guns blazing with some casual racism to start the movie. I don't he know. Sure if does. He, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I thought he was probably one of maybe two people that I enthusiastically thought was like well cast in this movie. So speaking of casual racism, I want to talk about Rob Schneider. Cause what did you think of him as Chuck Niederman? Because before Rob Schneider started appropriating members of every single race in Adam Sandler movies, I actually really, I thought he was one of the better parts of the movie as the, as the announcer, Chuck Niederman. Now, how could the ref call that? It was a clean kick to the face mask. Yeah, uh, I, I thoroughly kind of enjoyed his levity brought to the movie because we're just watching shit football. For, for an hour and a half uh, is it's pretty much what we're doing when you're watching necessary roughness and you needed you needed that role you needed someone to kind of guide the movie along comedically uh, because it's it, it kind of gets old seeing them run I mean how many times do we see players on the armadillos just run into each other either in practice or in the game that was like I don't know if it was a drinking game, 
you'd be skunked by the end of the movie. So having him kind of add the commentary, uh, I thought was, was probably one of the nicer touches in this movie. Yeah, he was kind of like the film's Harry Doyle. Again, another major league. There's a lot of major league parallels in this movie, but like it's like the parallel universe from from uh the what was the uh I I I can't I'm blanking on the name Jordan Peele's last film. Was it Us? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the parallel universe from that. It's like the bad version. Uh but yeah, I thought it was good. What else what else worked for you? What did what did you enjoy out of this movie or what you know, I don't think there's anything else that's realistic, but what did you enjoy out of the movie? What did I enjoy? Out of, I mean, I, I think one of the things is when you watch, especially like football movies, um, if you kind of keep a keen eye on the action, you can find continuity problems where like, you know, they just got a 60 yard play and are in the red zone, but then the next play they're like at midfield. Um, or you'll see like odd play calling decisions or, you know, the, the, the final scores doesn't make sense. You know, like you're, you're missing, like you'll see the other team score two touchdowns and your team score one touchdown, and then they'll kind of show the scoreboard and it, it doesn't make sense. Um, and you see that even in like very football centric movies and TV shows, Friday night lights and varsity blues, there weren't a lot of times where, you know, minus the whole ridiculousness of like the pretense where you're like, this is, you know, why would they call that play? Or, I mean, they ran like pretty much the Super Bowl Philly special play late in the game. You know, I, I didn't, I think you and me spoke about this, how I hate the Billy Bob uh, hook and ladder at the end of Varsity Blues. Yes. Like there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of play calling and kind of like, um, you know, more or less like, they got lazy here. You know, like if you got a turnover when the other team was on the red zone, uh, you know, you picked it off in the end zone, you should be starting off at the 20 and, you know, the next kind of like plays like at the 50. There weren't a lot of times where I was kind of, you know, annoyed with like those types of like little things. I think they made a concerted effort to like not have any egregious issues there. So I mean, that's the smallest of compliments, uh, but... Uh, the football action was a lot of quick cuts and stuff where you couldn't take a lot of... You didn't really have a sense of what was going on in a lot of the plays. It was a lot of just, like, cut to Scott Bakula getting drilled or cut to someone dropping a ball. There wasn't a whole I mean, lot where's the roughing the passer? Scott Bakula was pasted well after he threw the ball at least a dozen times. And if you, if you look at him in that movie and... and in the oral history, he said he he injured himself like early on in the movie. But if you like watch the movie kind of closely, he I mean he he's the older actor and he's supposed to be doing this. But even like when he gets up from like a chair, he is like struggling. Like it it really looks like he was laboring through that movie. It's a miracle that he can operate on NCIS right now after <laughs> all the hits he took. Uh, one thing that the movie got right in a sense is that a bar fight can really bring a team together. They didn't They didn't really show the team coming together that much. Uh, I think the replacements does this a lot better. But they, they get in that bar fight with the Colts, and like I think that's their, hey, the team's you know kind of together moment. Uh, yeah, so that, it, know, so it, works. it's like cool runnings. You know, maybe they kind of find themselves there. Um, I mean, it's the bar fight, and then it's the thing with Jason Bateman's character where they're like, we're going to tutor him. Um, and so he, so he doesn't flunk off the team. 
That uh, whole minute and 30 second plot device. They're like, yeah, we're all coming <laughs> together because the kid got a C. It's like, yeah. it wasn't even, you didn't even realize that he was this bad student. And suddenly it's this thing. The whole team's waiting to see what his grade's going to be. Yeah, because at, at that point in the movie, uh, Scott Bakula is leaving in his Jeep with his cowboy hat and an old denim outfit smoking a cigarette uh, to, to go back to his farm. And Jason Bateman is leaving school because he's going to flunk out of school because you know he pays people to take his test. And uh, it, it's that interaction with uh, Bakula where they both like kind of decide that they need to go back and like redeem themselves. And then... Sinbad is going to tutor Jason Bateman until he becomes eligible. And they tell the coach like, yeah, they're not going to be here. He's going to get tutored. The whole team's got his back. And that that's when they like come together for a second time. So uh, yeah, the bar fight. And then on a more positive note, Jason Bateman's academics uh, stem the tide for the armadillos. Really an underutilized Jason Bateman and young Jason Bateman in this movie because he doesn't really show up until about like midway through the uh, he doesn't really get significant lines until probably three quarters of the way through the movie, really until the bar fight when he gets popped in the face. I loved at the very end of the movie him and Sinbad dancing in slow motion. Um, <laughs> I, I rewatched that a couple times. I actually thought Bateman was pretty good, like he was very Bateman. Um, I have no any recent Emmy nominee, Jason Bateman for Ozarks Ozark. Yeah. I think yeah, he got nominated for Ozark. I, I didn't, I haven't been up to date on the recent uh, Emmy noms, but yeah, he, he looked like you could tell he could act, you know, I don't know if he was that believable playing football, but uh, it was, it was fun to see him in there. You know, I think he's clearly the person who's gone on to bigger and better things from that movie. Here's a side note that I just want to get in here. Uh, this movie came out in 1991. It's directed by Stan Dragati, who never directs a movie again. He had directed like a half dozen or so movies and then lived until very recently, but never directed another movie. So I how mean, many he went out on top? He beat the, <laughs> the Texas Colts and he went out on top. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I kind of find it funny when you, uh, you put something out there and you pretty much have to move on to like commercial. I don't, you know, who knows what he moved on to, but this seemingly <laughs> killed his career in Hollywood. He's like the opposite of the guy who played Fredo. I can't remember what his name was, but he starred in only, he only, yeah, yeah. In a couple movies. They were all nominated for best picture. And then he passed away. This guy made a shitbox movie live forever. And that's it. Yeah, I, I can't think of his name either, but he was in uh, the th- the Two Godfathers, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, and I think the Conversation, and uh, then um, the the Vietnam movie that I can't think of the name of right now. But yeah, um, yeah, is John Caviezel or something? John, John Cazale, Cazale. Might... I'm John, sure we yeah. just butchered his name. Yeah, but no, yeah, this is the opposite of that. All right, so let's get into what didn't work. Uh, long list, long. I, I've got a, I got a question. I, actually, I got. I want to start with my my biggest grievance. Banks, Charlie Banks, the walk on, who they basically say uh, he's the only player returning from the Armadillos, the only player who didn't leave the team. He was a walk on, and he wasn't very good, but he tried hard. Like this movie, like they don't know 
how good division one walk-on football players were. If he was a walk-on, like if he was one of Saban's walk-ons at Alabama, he would be the best player on the team by far. This would be his time to shine. I I would think so. Um, But I think, I don't know. I think you, the movie kind of struggled to make believable backstories for 17 people who shouldn't be playing football. So I think they, you know, they, they just ran out of, you know, they had a samurai, they had Sinbad, the, the TA professor or whatever. They had the, you know, Scott Bakula, the farm guy. I think they had like the drill sergeant guy. They had the twin, like they, at a certain point there, they just were out of bullshit to make up for why people would be playing football. So you're a hundred percent right. Uh, you know, there's, there's tons of things to kind of poke, poke at in this movie that, uh, just make no sense. Let's go with the the two most questionable eligibility questions with the team. So you got you've got Bakula, who Coach Rig goes and sees and says, "Hey, I want you to play quarterback." Recruited you at Penn State, whatever. He shows up the next day with his registration. Like, oh, oh, he just he just got right into college. Just <laughs> just walked right in. Like this program has to be on the up and up now. No, they're not taking money. Um, no, uh, you know, no steroids, no money, anything. And Bakula just he just waltzes right into college. There's no uh, he doesn't have to retake the SATs or anything. Well, he he doesn't just waltz in. Okay, he walks over to the dean who is watching football. Even though the dean clearly hates football, he's he's sitting there with like earmuffs and a blanket on him in the you know August heat in uh, Texas. And Scott Bakula walks over, gives him like you know his you know, papers to enroll, takes his cigarette and throws it in his cup of coffee. Like, has he been told that the Dean is a shitty character uh, that is antagonizing the football team? Like what? I mean, off the bat, Scott Bakula, that's not a likable move to take your cigarette and throw it in some guy's coffee. Uh, so I thought that was funny. And of course the Dean drinks it later. So you know, little also little did he did he sell his farm? Owning a farm is not like a business you can just take a sabbatical from. It's not like leaving your job as a real estate agent to go on the bachelor. Like you can't just leave your farm. It's a fucking farm. <laughs> uh yeah, I uh I didn't even think about that. Uh and yeah, he he the the whole plot we didn't kind of cover this is he didn't go to play college football because his dad died and he wanted to take over the farm. So if he had to take over the farm, theoretically, they don't have kind of the organiz- organizational infrastructure for you know the dad to you know to pass it on to other people while his son's at college, and that's kind of the sense you get when Scott Bakula is playing football in the cornfield. So. Yeah, the farm probably had a shitty year, and presumably this team keeps playing for future years. So I have no idea. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like one line of dialogue there could have like just totally fixed that, where someone goes like, why don't you just get your uh, your brother or your cousin to take care of the farm? Isn't he done with the Navy? And then Scott Bakula could be like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, like, but instead <laughs> uh, we have no explanation for what happens to the farm. Like power ranking the jobs that you just cannot leave for sabbatical. It's like farm restaurant one A one B. Like the they're but they're both gonna die if you're the owner and you're not there. So 
And then other eligibility question. Professor Krim, played by Sinbad. How exactly can he come play on the... He's a professor. How can he come play on the team? I'm, I'm all very over this. confused. So... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why I'm spending some of my mid thirties deep on the internet <laughs> reading about some of these questions, but what I think what they were implying there, because it says that he played like three years of football and then what was the plot? Like he was forced to pick between chemistry and football. Was that right? Yeah. The coach told him, uh, he, he wasn't, he didn't recruit him to be a chemistry professor or something. Like that. <laughs> so, um yeah because that's that makes total sense so what i he has a brief little blurb of dialogue where he says like yeah so then i quit got my master's in two and i'm like a year or two away from getting my phd so i think what they're implying there is that he is not a professor at that moment in time he is like a ta who is teaching yes and he's still got because i think you have from when you start uh, playing football, you have like six years to like finish out your eligibility. So I think he's in his last possible year to play. So I, I think it actually does pass muster from that little blurb that they gave that he got his degree in three, his master's in like two, and is like halfway to getting his PhD. So I think I think that might make some level of sense. Okay, well that's that's good. I'm glad you did the research there. I won't let you besmirch Sinbad's eligibility in necessary roughness. No way. You, I mean, you got to think about what he was like when he was back at school. Was he taking money? Was he in on the take? Yeah, that's because a good it point. It seemed like everyone else was. Speak. One of the things I forgot to put when we were talking about like what worked, the montage at the beginning when they're doing like the ESPN report, like the Chris Berman report on the guys taking money. It's like they've got guys on video shooting steroids and just being handed wads of cash, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. Yeah, they they condensed the whole like you know the old armadillo team is was just totally corrupt in like you know a twelve second montage, and I also love how they introduce you know hector elizondo as coach Gennaro. they call him coach straight arrow Gennaro. like who would ever have that uh that nickname uh and you know they just want to hammer home i mean it was like the easiest way for us to understand that he's like you know a coach who like doesn't bend the rules but they you know they in real life, what football coach would be called straight arrow, you know? But uh, no, this this is the most anti-pay the players movie ever. It's like yeah. the opposite of blue chips. Yes, exactly. And they, they couldn't even take home the green jackets they were given. So bad. Okay, so are you ready to talk about Coach Gennaro? I'm, I've been born ready. I mean, for me, he's the weakest link in the chain of this movie. I, I think he gives off the vibe that he knows nothing about football. Like, he does not come off as a quote-unquote football guy at all. Just does not sell the role. He's awful. Uh, I, I put down some possible people. I mean, ultimately, this is, you know, when I told you they brought in a comedy writer, I think this movie could have worked if you brought in some star power for the Scott Bakula and Hector Elizondo roles. Um, clearly, this wasn't a movie that the studio wanted to commit that type of budget to, but he just bombs. He, he's totally miscast. Um, he, he kind of sticks out. He, when he tries to be funny, it doesn't work. He's not believable as a football coach. Um, 
you know, it, it really just makes no sense. So I, I would say his casting was probably the biggest mistake in this film. Um, if you get him and potential, I, I thought Bacula was okay. And I actually looked at who else they could have cast for that movie. And he was probably the best option. Uh, the guy in the first Terminator, uh, not, uh, not the Terminator himself. Like which the guy who played Kyle Reese. Yes. Kyle Reese was the other guy who was up for this. And one of the actors from lost that I didn't initially recognize his name. So Bacula was kind of like, yeah, I think they, he said that he tested for it. They didn't get back to him for two months. And then he realized that he was not the first choice. So he made them pay him more was something he said. And there were there was a lot of people on um, you know doing their first movie, which you can kind of tell in uh in the movie and they said Scott Bakula was like great. Like he taught them a lot about acting and, and so on uh and really coached them up through the movie. But uh Hector Elizondo is is pretty much an F. Um just totally miscast and you know that was probably the pivotal role of like the mentor, the guy trying to, you know, make magic happen for a a bunch of scrappy underdogs. And it was a total swing and a miss. And he's totally outshined by uh, Robert Loja. I think that's how you say his name, who, I mean, it's even possible that that halftime speech was not supposed to be his and that they gave it to uh, Robert Loja because, you know, Hector really just couldn't really pull off the, you know, being the coach. Now let's analyze What's been working for us? Not a goddamn thing's been working for us. Like this goddamn suit doesn't work for me. And this stinking tie. And this goddamn shirt. It doesn't work for me. You know how to play winning hard-nosed football. You play football like Engineer played football. A guy who gave his life for this football team. He was a 140-pound halfback. And he played like a goddamn wild man. No, like a goddamn rampaging beast. And that's the way you gotta do it. You go out there, you tear their fucking heads off, and you shit down their necks. Let us pray. Yeah, it's extremely possible, because, I mean, he was... the In this role, you need someone who you believe is gonna make the team better, which, I mean, is, like, obviously, I mean, it's a coach... But you have to believe this team doesn't have a whole lot in terms of talent or resources or anything. So this coach not only has to be a guy who's the straight arrow Gennaro, but he also has to be a football, you know, a football savant and a a guy who can get the most out of this team. And he just comes up with fucking nothing. He's bringing nothing to the table. And they don't even give you a backstory of where he's from. They don't even have like a throwaway line of oh back when you you know won those championships at USC or or whatever. It is just it's a wet blanket of a role. It's it's really it's really bad. They mentioned that he played halfback for the school and which is not really believable at all. And they said that he got fired by boosters a long time ago. I, I made a list of like, you know, uh Burt Reynolds, Robert Duvall, Tom Skerritt, Alan Arkin as people that I would have gone for. And even Robert Loja moving over to that role, I think would have worked, but he was an anchor on this movie. And, you know, I think ultimately, all right, the Rotten Tomatoes score is 31%. I, I'm going to go with one of the people I just named in this, uh, in this role. It goes up to like 
38% potentially. Yeah, I mean, even it could go over 50%. I mean, this movie, we'll talk about it in a bit, is very fixable, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, there, there's there's really, like, there's the, the bones for a good movie here. It just, there's the foundation for it. Um, one of the things, and it kind of relates to Gennaro, and things that underdog movies do well or need to do well to be good is a steady progression of showing the team getting better, why they're getting better. In this movie, it's just like, oh, well, they got Kathy Ireland to kick, and they had a bar fight, and that's <laughs> that's about it. And now they can compete with the number one team in the country. He is a stand-in for the University of Texas. Like, for our minds, this is a stand-in for Alabama or Clemson. And just imagine that 17 dudes could beat Alabama or Clemson, and you don't get any sense of them getting better throughout the whole movie. Well, it's not even that they got better. It's that how do they survive? Because if you have 17 people, I think they actually had 18. I think Sinbad was added after they were down to 17. But going both ways for a season, you're going to lose guys to injury. So the idea that this team wouldn't be beating the shit and having to like dissolve midway through, I mean, this happens to high school teams. Football participation's down. And you get teams that are only like, you know, 25 to 30 guys and they start losing some guys. And then mid season, you see teams basically dissolving. So the idea that they like somehow not only survived the season, but got better without them. I mean, come on. It, this is a 1991 movie without a montage. Like we, we are montage. owed, we are owed a montage of like them getting better. But instead, yeah, like you said, there's the bar fight. They got a kicker. By the way, I kicked in high school. Kathy Ireland's like run up to kick the ball was awful. That ball would not get over the line. Uh, that ball would hit the center like square in the ass every time. Um, so yeah, I think you're hundred percent right there. That team probably by the end of their second or third game, like has a meeting with the athletic director and puts out a press release that they're that they're going to just like call it for a year and then try again next year. Yeah. The lack of progression and the genera character, I think are the two, just the biggest flaws in this movie, uh, the biggest football flaws and just the biggest flaws in general that make it not a great movie. Another flaw is like they have, they got this team together for like two weeks of practice before the first game. Can you imagine pulling you know, a handful of guys out of the student body, like right before school starts. And it's like, Hey, we're having tryouts and you need to play the Bobcats in two weeks. Good luck guys. That's, that's a whole nother, that's more of a thing for improving this movie, but that's just, I mean, that's astounding to think about that happening. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, we don't know the size of the student body, uh, for, for the school. So there, there could have, I mean, it's Texas. There's probably a decent amount of guys who played, high school football, um, you know, and it, you know, it's possible that there was, you know, enough P and, and that was the funny thing. The first tryout, if you recall, is in the, the basketball gym. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a football tryout, why wouldn't you, you know, like it, it's probably one of those things that goes back to like the budget of this movie. Like they had it in the script, like we'll have tryouts outside and then there was like a Texas storm that day and they're like, oh, we'll move it to the gym. You know, like we, we don't have, you know, we can't build into the schedule another day for us to shoot these tryout scenes. So, 
Yeah, the the timeline of like no spring practice and a bunch of people who haven't like played together coming together, uh, you know, in that timeline with that amount of players, it's totally ridiculous. Uh, but I mean, every kind of like you know, five minutes of this movie is ninety percent ridiculous, ten percent something you know okay. Yeah, like so ridiculous thing. Why are they at the same bar as the University of Texas Colts? Well, why is why is I, I, I have the answer there, and it's it's clearly because there was an indoor uh, rodeo at that bar. You know, like <laughs> they were going to travel, obviously. Yeah, like if if you're in Texas and there's a bar that has an indoor rodeo setup, like you know, you go to that. I mean, right now, if there was one near me, that's where I would be right now. So. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to challenge that because, you know, it's an indoor rodeo bar. I'm, I'm into that. Yeah. If you're playing actual filming locations, uh, the university of Texas Colts, the, the stand in for the university of Texas, they're located in Austin, which is about four hours South of Denton where the armadillos are. But I mean, again, if you have the indoor bull ring, what's four hours. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you you may have a valid point there, but I mean, in, in, until we've experienced an indoor rodeo setup, you know, who knows how far of a draw that will, you know, you'll go for that. Yeah, who are we to judge? Did you have anything else that didn't work at all in this movie? Uh, I mean, besides ninety percent of the movie. I, I feel like really this movie went wrong. I mean, you, you had a totally valid point that this is kind of a tweener between a comedy and a serious movie. I think if we're going to kind of play like the underdog, you know, the Hoosiers type situation with a coach, like lifting up a team that doesn't have enough guys and, and so on, you got to have the head coach, you know, be someone believable. Uh, Scott Bakula, I don't think there was enough star power there. Uh I had down, you know, in a dream scenario, Kevin Costner, maybe Kurt Russell, Dennis Quaid, Jeff Bridges. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think they had the budget for that. Uh, but I think if you get one of those actors, it's a better movie, and potentially you might be able to attract more of a female audience. Um, I think generally this was, you know, a movie that kind of did too much. Uh, at times it took itself too seriously at other times it was just kind of, uh, overly ridiculous. Um, and that, that's why I picked it. Cause I knew I would have no qualms about kind of, uh, you know, shitting on it for, for an hour. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as far as the best on-screen athlete, I mean, the convict team rolls out some NFL hall of famers. I think it's hard to pick against those guys. You've got Jim Kelly, you know, Herschel Walker, who still might be the greatest athlete in, from this film. I mean, he's still in amazing shape, and he's, like, well north of 50. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, like I said, that was the most memorable uh, part in the movie. And, uh, like, it it was like I, I, can, I still remembered, like, them rolling off the bus. And, you know, I, I, I'm a Niners fan, so I remember Jerry Rice and Roger Craig uh, – and it's kind of like uh, – it's one of the, the most least authentic parts in the movie because like when have you ever heard of a college football team scrimmaging a prison football team? I don't even think there are prison tackle football teams. So right away that's like kind of an insane, ridiculous thing uh, to happen. 
That's another thing that they were doing, trying to make it just a comedy. Like they have this random scene where they hire out a bunch of, uh, you know, NFL players, and like, okay, you guys are gonna be a convict team. You're gonna show up. You're gonna beat the shit out of the guys for thirty seconds. We're gonna put you back on the bus and leave. And that's a scene. Yeah, but but odd. Okay, as bad as as little sense as it makes, there are some good jokes in there. Like when someone asks, I think it's Randy White. Like, what are you in for anyway? Computer fraud. Like that was genuinely That's a top five, top five line in the movie. Top, top five line for this movie, and I think the fact that out of all of the uh, the convicts, the one that seems to be the most aggressive and like the most uh, feisty, like fighting wise, it's fucking Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly is the convicts quarterback who is the one showing throwing like the most punches out of that whole group. Um, Did you spend that much time in Buffalo, man? And it's just like, <laughs> Bill's mafia is just in your blood. Yeah. I, I was like, I remember that scene and I, I was surprised how much star power was there. Like I forgot Tony Dorsett was in there. Evander, <laughs> Evander Holyfield, Herschel Walker. Like it, you know, it's kind of the most ridiculous part of the movie, but it's so over the top and there are a couple like jokes in there that kind of like you just kind of take it for what it is. But uh, yeah, like it, 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 it it's, it's insane, but it, it leaves such an imp- – I mean like I said, that was pretty much the only part of the movie that uh, I, I remembered uh, from when I watched it. The other thing I that kind of like turned my head was uh, when – the the love interest for Scott Bakula played by Harley Jean Kozak, which I thought was like, I thought she did a good job, but I thought it was funny that uh, she like defends the student teacher like relationship that they're having, which isn't called in the quest. Like it, it's made to look like they're like the Dean's being a dick for questioning that relationship. But when she totally brings up the legitimate ch- reason, yeah, very legitimate. He's like, yeah, like that could get her fired in like in real life, like not like a hundred times out of a hundred. But also, there's like a quick little blurb of dialogue where she like admits that she stalked him for a while. Is there really? I'm a, I had to have missed that. Yeah, is that so, when he shows up at her house? No, like uh, when he creepily shows up at her house in the middle of the night, and she's just like, "Yeah, come in, student." <laughs> she he uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that whole thing was was very awkward. But like when he comes into her class the first time and she thought he was a like another student he like says his name and she makes like this weird face that i i I had to pick up on the second time i watched it and then he starts talking about how he should have gone to school like you know 15 years earlier like whatever it was and oh no he, he says like i'm not used to losing in high school i never lost a game and she goes i know when I was in high school, you played my team in the state championship and I was dating like the star quarterback. Oh, and that, that's right. That's right. And and he's like, oh, yeah. And then she goes, yeah, it affected me. Like we broke up. I started calling your house. I drove by your farm. And like – and then it's just done with. Like he, he goes like, oh, crazy. And then like they totally move on from there. And like – you know, I, I rewound it. I'm like, wait, did she just like admit to like a lot of stalking, like obsessive stalking of Scott Bakula? And I there's another rewound. version of that movie where it ends with like a murder scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, the the scene from The Natural, the, the beginning of The Natural. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah, oh man, oh man, yeah. Like it, it's I I I would probably like that movie more, but 
Yeah, I thought I thought that was hilarious. That there's just like two sentences that was like, "P.S. I stalked you." Anyways, and like he's like, "Oh yeah, okay." God, yeah, I didn't even pick that up. Um, worst on screen athlete. I count coaches in this, and I do a thing with coaches. The brick wall test. Would you, you know? Would you run through a brick wall to play for that guy? Uh, Denzel and remember the Titans kind of kind of uh, comes to mind. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd run through a foam wall to play for Gennaro. No, he like, was he's awful. Awful. I mean, I would be getting all of the players and going to the AD office to try to get him fired. So, if he's fair game for who's the worst, yeah, if if he's fair game for worst actor, I'm putting all my chips behind him being awful. Yeah, he's he's definitely my my worst on screen athlete by virtue of being a coach. The Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I have two nominees, and then you can get me with whoever else you want. Uh, Larry Miller playing Dean Elias. I loved him in this movie. I thought he was hilarious. I'm with you there. He he didn't I'm make my list, fan. but I mean he was supposed. I mean he's basically like the template for uh, Jeremy Piven in old school. Like you know he yeah yeah he he did a great job being like kind of an annoying nuisance, and I like how the movie ends. <laughs> Ends with his face with the mascot shooting a, a fake gun prop in his face. It's not a, like a kiss or like a celebration. It's the Dean getting shot by a prop gun um, by the mascot. That is the lasting image of like the credits. Yeah. And then my other nominee is uh, Sinbad, is, is potential Dr. Andre Krim. And that's because he's got what was my favorite line in the movie, also from the convict game, right before they're about to snap the ball. And he's like... Listen, guys, I want you to know something. I believe you're all innocent. I really mean that. I feel a lot of love on this field today. And it, it makes me sad that we didn't get that much peak Sinbad. Because I like Sinbad. I, I thought we were getting more Sinbad. I thought, like, going into this movie, I thought I was getting more Kathy Ireland, who really doesn't show up in this movie until, I think, past the halfway point. So I thought there was going to be a little more Kathy Ireland, a little bit more Sinbad, and we were deprived of both. And, you know, I don't I maybe that's why this guy got blacklisted from Hollywood because he was given kind of Sinbad at its peak, Kathy Ireland at her peak, and they're totally underutilized. So maybe maybe that's why this guy was blackballed from Hollywood. Yeah. It's it's a very disappointing use of Sinbad. Did you have anyone else for the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award? Yeah, I, I think I mean it, it, I guess he's kind of on the kind of on the fringe, but I mean we already talked about it. Robert Loja, you know he's not the you know the head coach, and he's in a lot of scenes. But yeah, I, I think Sinbad and Loja were probably the two. The Simone guy, uh, who it was his first movie, I thought was was pretty solid. Um, yeah, Manu, but Mata, yeah, the Slender, played yeah. by Peter Tuiasosopo. Yeah, I actually read that he he had never been in a movie, and someone told him to just show up there, and he got the role. So I thought I thought he was pretty good, and he goes on to be uh, E Honda in the Street Fighter movie. So he he's done some things. Yeah, yeah, he uh he was good. He always re- he referred to uh, Scott Bakula's character as Mister Blake the whole movie, which is a, <laughs> which is a running gag. For the big chill, uh, every good sports movie needs a big chill moment. For this one, it's the big stupid chills. I've got three nominees of when I just like got like the super awkward, oh my god. Uh, when he returns to the team after getting Edison to study, and Gennaro's like, it's your team now. Like, he, he convinced a guy to actually study and get a good grade. It, it's your team. 
the uh, the conversation in the hospital between Gennaro and Coach Rig. And then the last play when he's scrambling around in the two point conversion and he sees Banks in the end zone and he like he sees like, oh. his tackling dummy from the field. It's fucking great. Yeah, I, I had you know, so I, I had down here that it was the Jason Bateman going to study thing, you know, when he's like, Hey man, uh Edison's not gonna be here and so Sidbad's not gonna be here either because we've got to get him to pass a test. And the coach is like, You don't wanna have two players at practice going into our big game and he's like no but the whole team like yeah i i thought that was just kind of like insanely ridiculous it's like this thing that got them fired up the uh the throwback to the tackling dummy also kind of ridiculous i mean you know this whole movie there there's a lot of attempts at stupid chills but i think you you covered two two good ones right there yeah so here's the big question how would you improve this movie ben uh i mean you have to – the two leads, you got to just improve on them. I think you got to potentially just spend a little bit more money. So, I mean, like does Tom Skerritt cost any more money than Hector Elizondo in 1991? Probably not. You know, like that's – Are we you know, sure though? Because wasn't he – I mean, when was Top Gun? 89? Oh, Tom Skerritt might be expensive. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I think the head coach thing ruins it. Maybe you can roll with Bakula. I think maybe if Kathy Ireland is the kicker from the start and maybe she has some type of interesting love interest, maybe with Jarvis, you know, Jason Bateman. Um, I think Kathy Ireland in 1991, I mean, she's putting, you know, butts in the seats at movies. She's, she's pushing sports illustrated swimsuit editions. I think her being a little bit more prominent in here works, but really the head coach situation. uh, I, I think they needed to invest real money into someone who can, who could have fit that role better. I thought Scott Bakula was like a C plus B minus, not bad, but I think if you're kind of, you know, looking at the material here, um, you know, a bigger name actor, you know, might've, might've helped this movie. They could have gone the other way too, with a young coach, like rig is the old coach and a young, co- maybe like a pull a young Denzel or something. I mean, obviously like Denzel did remember the Titans, you know, a decade later or something, but maybe like a, a hot young guy, like a young Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is probably out of the budget again, Top Gun. But yeah. Someone like that, just someone with some charisma. That's what I need out of a football coach. I need charisma and I didn't have it. No, no I mean it I mean he just sapped a lot of a lot of like the juice out of this movie. So I mean, uh, you know, I think I think going more in the they they needed to kind of pick a direction more in the major league sense or more in the kind of like serious tone. Um they were they never got off the fence there and then they just totally bombed the casting of the head coach so those are kind of like the two big things there but you know there are some things that work and it's it's entertaining it it, it doesn't bog down that much in a few places like some of the scenes with bacula and his love interest are a little slower and you know there are some kind of plot you know um plot turns and kind of like areas that you know don't make sense but they're usually pretty quick so it, it, it's easy to get through, so I'll give it credit for that. Yeah, I think they could have gone with the model that the replacements used about a decade later and getting players. Instead of having – it doesn't really need the wrinkle of having 17 players. It's already it's already like the ultimate underdog story, a bunch of – you know, a football team of walk-ons competing in a really tough conference. 
you recruit 70 guys and you have the coach kind of do what they did in the replacements while he goes and gets his, his old quarterback, uh, you know, finds his, his former star quarterback, but like, you know, hey, this guy was a high school, you know, you go get a bunch of good high school players, like guys who were good in high school, stuff like that. Um, you know, this guy plays for the the basketball team. He's fast and he can jump and he's our wide receiver and stuff like that. Instead of just, it's like, oh, it's 17 guys that are all weird. Most of them stink at football. Uh, actually just, I mean, it's already going to be a tall task for them to compete. Why not make it a little more realistic that they're actually scoring points on these teams? I, I don't think that would have been too much to ask. No, I, I think the they made the mountain too tall. I think is you know spot on. They they didn't need to keep adding you know to the ridiculousness of the the challenge they had to overcome. Yeah, it, it, they were like really close to just having like Bacula like lose a foot or something. Like they how many more how many more hurdles can we throw at this team? But uh, you know they there's a there's there's the formula for a remake here, a good remake. I mean, with the state of Hollywood nowadays, I don't think we'll get it, but, uh, I appreciate you coming on to talk to me about the original. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Where can the people follow you on social media, Ben? Uh, yeah. Find me on Twitter, B K O O B K U, And, uh, yeah, always happy to, to chat about shitty sports movies. So, you know, feel free to reach out if you have any thoughts on this movie or any, any others. Yeah, nothing makes a better conversation than a, a shitty sports movie. <laughs> and if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast. Uh, rate, leave a review, let me know what you thought of this episode. Let me know what uh, movies you want to hear episodes on upcoming. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Big underscore Screen Sport and Instagram at Big Screen Sports Pod for sports movie content and information on upcoming episodes. And you can catch us every Thursday. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.